This podcast is once again presented by the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, which is undergoing an extensive renovation to create more exhibition galleries, community and event space, a cafe, and more. See all the changes coming at virginiahistory.org. This podcast is also sponsored by the Library of Virginia, where collections of more than 129 million items tell the stories of Virginians to nearly 4 million people yearly. Find Virginia History at lva.virginia.gov. And welcome to our bonus episode of season five, where we give you all the great behind the scenes moments from the making of this podcast. I'm your host, Rachel DePompa, and I've got a new title. I'm the new director of investigations at NBC 12. Her new title has so much bearing on this podcast that she couldn't bear not to tell you all about it. So we're so pleased for Rachel and her new title. That has nothing to do with the podcast. Thanks, I think, Colton. Those are my counterparts you heard laughing. Colton Weekly, our executive producer, and Kate Albright, our digital director. Great season, guys. It was a great season, but like we said for the last season, doing it during the pandemic, this season had a whole new host of complications that I think we'll probably get to very shortly. We will. It was a struggle bus at times, but we did it, guys. And we actually produced some really great episodes for you all. What is the story that stands out for you this season? There's usually one for me that I'm like, that was my favorite to write or that was my favorite to edit. Colton's got one. The John Paul Jones story is what stands out the most for me, not because it's one of our longest individual segments ever. But the story itself is so wild and crazy. And when Rachel and I finished kind of reading the first go, the only thing that came to my mind, and we've mentioned his name before on the podcast, was how has Spielberg not picked up this story yet for a blockbuster film because it would be magnificent in my opinion. He is arrogant, egotistical, self-righteous, but a brilliant man also who was years ahead of his time. Another story with similar action, I guess, would be The Sea Venture. I knew very little or nothing about that beforehand. And I think to hear from uh, Bly Straub, an archeologist who actually dug up some of these artifacts from Jamestown herself, was kind of a special little peek into that part of uh, the history of both the Virginia colony and this country as a whole. Okay, I have to do this. When that moment happened. It happened in our interview, and I was like, Bly, I love you for doing the sound, because that is going to be in every tease that we do for this episode. For me, the standout was John Paul Jones as well. It was just a story I did not know, and I absolutely adored. Writing it was amazing, and then when we did the read-through, and then the edit, and the booming music, and being on the ocean, it was just something that I was drawn to. I actually went into the final edit thinking it was going to be really boring and was very pleasantly surprised. So, Kate, what's yours? 
One of my favorite stories was the Norfolk Four, simply because I didn't know anything about it. And what a powerful story and very recent in our history. This season, I really enjoyed that we got to explore a lot of stories that happened within our lifetimes. For me, the Norfolk Four, that last line was just, I don't know if we've had a better last line. The powers that be digging in their heels to be right, not just, just right. And I have to give credit to Mary Kelly Tate because that is a version of a line that she actually said that we sculpted into the final line of that segment. Mary Kelly Tate was amazing in making you understand how someone could possibly say they did something when they didn't. The science behind that and the the data behind that, it really was one of my favorite interviews from this season. I also wanted to give props to Mary Kelly Tate as well, because when we said we were going to do that story, we struggled for a while to find someone who we felt could talk to us about that topic. And little did we know, the University of Richmond has its own Institute of Actual Innocence, which Mary Kelly Tate is the director of, um, right in our own backyard. There's such a wealth of knowledge and expertise spanning so many different topics around Richmond and Central Virginia that once we got her in for the interview and then Rachel told me how the interview went, I was so pleasantly surprised with that as well as how the story itself came out. I thought it was magnificent. Let's talk about the Witch of Pongo. Yes. The Witch of Pongo, Kate, was so interesting. It was about female empowerment. I remember I was on a camping trip with my husband a few years ago and we saw a sign for Witch Duck Road and we had a lot of guesses about what that possibly meant and none of them had to do with a woman being accused of being a witch. Did that story resonate with you, Colton? did actually because back... I'm a witch! <laughs> This goes back several years, actually, because this is a story I stumbled upon that I had no idea about at the time, and this is before the podcast was even an idea. So I was kind of interested in this story from the beginning, and when I saw the date lined up for this season, I knew it was something that we needed to do. And again, little did I know that this story would turn into kind of what it did. One thing, and this is going to be me being very picky, it's the Witch of Pungo, P-U-N-G-O. I hear a lot of Pongo over there. Pungo, small little area of Hampton Roads. Sorry, that was my Maryland dialect coming through. And also, Colton, we just got done discussing our Minnesota accents, so I feel like some forgiveness should also be thrown to me. Also in episode one was William Morva. Which was a story that was actually deeply personal to me. There's a couple of moments throughout a year that I actually wanted to avoid writing podcasts about and episodes about. I have a feeling when Kate listened to it for the first time and Colton, they had unexpected reactions. Yeah, I think my reaction when I first listened to the Morva segment was I knew Rachel had said that she had been there around the time when all of this stuff went down in Blacksburg. But I think my mind didn't allow itself to explore, I guess, how personal that would be for Rachel. I think I felt it would be very not emotional, I guess, for some reason. And so when I heard Rachel's emotion for the first time, actually, when we were going over the segment, 
that really kind of brought that segment more to the top of that episode for me. We talk a lot about these stories from centuries ago or several decades ago where there's no necessarily personal connection. So I think the personal connections that we had, not only in episode one, but throughout the season, kind of helps bring those stories to our listeners in more of a emotional and personal way and not just, you know, here's a story, here are the facts. I think it kind of helps tie into our listeners a little more. And it might not have been the first time, but this was a very thorough look at mental health in the criminal justice system, which I don't think is explored enough. And it just really changed my perspective on a lot of cases. You know, I wasn't expecting to have the emotions that I did come out. They're always kind of there under the surface for some moments as a journalist. And we're really good at not allowing our emotions to get in the way of things and not feeling things and compartmentalizing things. But I think there's something very intimate about podcasting where you're telling a story and so that comes through can we talk about how much of a badass irene morgan is because i did not know her story irene morgan became a a civil rights hero, although sort of unwittingly so. She didn't really intend to become the plaintiff in a landmark Supreme Court case. When we told it and we interviewed Karen Sherry, I was just amazed at such a wonderful story and a fight in history that not a lot of people know about and it's overshadowed by other things that happened, not wrongfully so. You know, Rosa Parks, we want to give Rosa Parks her due. I didn't know Irene Morgan's story. Exactly. This is kind of the entire reason why I wanted to do this podcast. When you don't grow up in an area, you just don't get taught certain things. I had no idea that had happened, right? There's the Rosa Parks, which obviously comes to mind first when you think about this. But the fact this happened more than a decade prior to Rosa Parks and it happened in Virginia and Irene Morgan was so, I don't want to say feisty but or aggressive, but she was very like, I will not be told I'm lesser than someone else. I, there's a great quote from the Supreme Court decision that Rachel will play here. He called the decision, which handed Irene Morgan that victory, he called it a decisive blow to the evil of segregation and all that it stood for. That really spoke to me, and and this is one of the big reasons why we do the podcast. Of, I think there are plenty of our listeners who maybe have heard her name if they grew up in Virginia, but did they know the whole story? And for those who listen, who did not grow up in Virginia, who are listening to us outside of the Commonwealth. I doubt many of you knew Irene Morgan's story, but you do now, and I think that's very valuable. We've already talked about Captain John Paul Jones, but I do want to give a shout out to Ed Moore. He's an amazing storyteller. I can see why he's invited everywhere to tell this story of John Paul Jones. Episode three This is where we meet Jim Bailey with the Manassas National Battlefield Park. And also, like Ed Moore, what a phenomenal storyteller. He really cuts to the emotion of a story. And that's what he did with that battle when we talked to him. So as a young boy, going to these big battle reenactments and walking through the camps, I could smell 
the smoke of the fires. I could I could hear the horses whinny and, and hear the artillery and, and, and musketry crackle during uh, during the reenactments. Yeah, when I think about Jim Bailey in that segment, Rachel has said, maybe not in the behind the sounds episodes before, but she said to me more times this season, partially because she wrote almost all the segments this season. She does not enjoy writing Civil War segments. Those were all Colton Wright's in all previous seasons, I think, save for like one segment maybe in last season. When she was doing most of them this season, she would get to them and I knew because she'd come right to my desk that morning like, I don't know how I'm going to start this one or end this one. And it was it was a thing all season long. <laughs> but with Jim Bailey, she came to me and she said, I really like how I ended this one, but it's not what you expect. Which both intrigues me and scares me when it comes to segments like this. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, but this is the segment that ended with the letter from the soldier about his two sons. And we found out that soldier did not survive the Battle of Manassas or Bull Run. Major Sullivan Ballou. He ends with a letter from Major Sullivan Ballou to his wife. Talking about his sons. And being a recent first-time father myself, that letter really spoke to me. And Rachel mentioned after we read it and after we both kind of were like, wow, that was a great ending, that we thought that was a great way to finish that segment because that battle itself was kind of the first major land battle of the Civil War. There was a lot to talk about afterwards. So ending that was going to be tricky, but I thought that was perfect. And I think Jim Bailey came to that interview well prepared and was a fantastic interview. And we've had very good luck with folks who work at the National Battlefield Parks around Virginia. So knowledgeable, great storytellers. Always worth a visit to those places if you get the chance to go to talk to those men and women. I will say when he told the story and read me the letter in the actual interview, it was like a dagger. I cried. And he says, as for my little boys, they will grow as I have done and never know a father's love and care. Little Willie is too young to remember me long and my blue-eyed Edgar will keep my frolics with him among the dimmest memories of his childhood. It was just such a powerful moment, and I went, okay, we are ending this episode with this letter, hands down. And thank you, Jim Bailey, for, as Colton said, being so well-prepared for that interview to have those little moments to talk about. Also in episode three, let's go back to the cow, cow. I come on, somebody else do it. Cow. <laughs> that was Kate. No. <laughs> no. I'm the only one who's brave enough to do it, but Bly was brave enough to do it. Cow, 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 When we got to the Sea Venture, Kate, and you listened to that edit, rough draft for the first time. What stuck out to you? So just for our listeners, I do not read these stories before I go in to make the final edit because my job is to make sure that the story makes sense to our listeners. So I go in completely blind. I don't deal with the back and forth between Colton and Rachel. So I didn't know about the cannibalism. It was really something. It's It just sits with you when you hear it. And I almost wanted to cut it out 
But instead I said, you know what? No, because this was so interesting. And I went off on a tangent with Bly in the actual interview to say, you have to tell me more about these archaeological digs and what you found and about this girl. In the end, I think Colton would have killed me if I said, we're not putting that in there. I think you mentioned that to me when we were reading it for the first time. That You said this next part is really brutal. And I thought about taking it out. And the producer in me was like, when you set up a segment like that, you're probably not going to take it out. And yeah, because you think shipwreck, Caribbean, okay, maybe they had to resort to cannibalism in Bermuda. Couldn't have been farther from the truth. Bermuda was an oasis. There was hogs there. You know, the cows were there that they were eating. Um, Cow! Cow! (laughs) Good Lord. Um, Things were way worse in Jamestown. So what kind of a twist of fate for those on the sea venture of, had that hurricane not blown them to Bermuda, they would have likely starved to death and resorted to things that are unimaginable. Episode four, The Behemoth. The massive episode, I went to Colton and said, so um, we've got four stories in this. And then I went to Kate and said, um, yeah, it's an hour and 36 minutes, I'm, I think, about. Honestly, I don't even remember what's in this episode because I was so elated that it finally got Colton to watch Hamilton. Exactly. Ding, 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 ding. Because the first story we put out there was Hamilton. Colton had never seen the musical. It was a a point of contention between all of us. Kate and I could not believe it. We would constantly harass him about watching this movie. He finally got a chance to sit down and watch the, well, excuse me, watch this play, but he got to watch the movie version that's on Disney Plus and Colton. Well, I went into it knowing about this interview for this segment beforehand, and I'd already read the script. So the background of it, I knew in my head going in, which I don't know if a lot of people did or not the first time they saw it. So I think that helped me because I was also watching very closely and trying to pick it apart because it's been so hyped up. I was like, I'm going to find everything wrong with this. And it was very difficult. I don't know if I found anything that I disliked. So now I get I get it. It was fantastic. What about the edit of that episode? Because I tried really hard in my initial edit to kind of match the pitch, the music, the the feeling that you get when you watch Hamilton. Kate, how'd we do? As soon as you said, if you've seen it, you're smiling right now. I had already been smiling. That was a love letter to all of you Hamilton lovers out there. Also in episode four, we have the gray ghost. And one of my favorite guests, Anne-Marie Curielason from the Virginia Piedmont Heritage Area. She was also a phenomenal storyteller, and I had never heard of the Grey Ghost. It was a wild ride. So Grey Ghost ends up being the nickname that sticks the longest, but there are a number of terms that are being used. The Prince of Gorillas. Another Northern writer calls him the Panther of the Valley. Didn't know of many of his actions during the war itself. Had no idea about his life after the war. And that is where in this story I was most interested and most perplexed, I think. 
Mosby was the thorn in the side of the Union Army for months, if not years, of the Civil War. And after the war, Mosby's wife somehow gets Grant to pardon him and their buds. That just baffles me. And even his later views on slavery, I think it was after he spent time in San Francisco, he was away from Virginia for quite some time. All of that was very interesting to me just because it feels so far removed from where, from how we got here. But it really isn't. And those are the stories that really kind of get me fired up about history. Yeah, that story to me was a great lesson in that none of us are done learning. And just because we think one way today does not mean that we don't have the power to educate ourselves more and change those views. That was my favorite part of that story was kind of the contradiction of his life, but also how his views changed and tracking the way the views changed. Because I think that's important that you don't blanket somebody as, oh, this person believed in this. I think we all learn this in life. Nothing is black and white. It's always shades of gray in the middle. It was nice to see a story where we could point out both sides, the negative, the positive, the change, the growth that people do. And don't miss the fact that Rachel just said shades of gray about the gray ghost. I don't even know if she realized it, but here we are. I realized it. <laughs> Kate just snorted. I realized it. <laughs> Let's move on to me. our favorite guest because he's from the original season of the podcast. We were learning how to podcast. Emmanuel Dabney. I am a And I got to meet Emmanuel for the very first time because Colton had done the original interview and I got to meet this fantastic person who is so lovely to talk to and knows everything you could possibly know about a story. Emmanuel Dabney knows everything you could possibly ever know about battles around Petersburg throughout the Civil War. And I knew that a crater was involved in this battle. I didn't know the details of it. The mine being, what, 500-some feet. And the fact that there were countermines listening to hear the tools on both sides and it wasn't discovered and the fuse went out because they didn't get what they needed. That whole story was just another great movie. It was a very powerful episode for me to edit. And it was, again, one of those moments where I just can't believe how little I was taught about the Civil War and how deep the racial issues were. These are men who were not considered full people fighting for their country. Last part of that episode, Henrietta Lacks. Which Karen Rader, having her be able to talk about ethics was absolutely amazing because it is such a difficult topic to talk about because there is a family who was deeply wronged and many see that. But there are also so many great benefits and values that have come out of that discovery that it is a hard topic to talk about. It was also really timely for us. Yeah, if you are a news consumer like we all are, you know how timely it is with the family just coming out now with a new lawsuit. The week our episode drops. Right. And so it just shows how it is still timely because her cells are still being used for medical advancements. And I can see very vividly both sides of this story. And full transparency, the fact that this lawsuit was announced the week our episode came out 
was a complete blindside. There was nothing like roiling in the background. We thought, oh, maybe this is coming, so we should do this segment. This was months ago we decided to do the segment, weeks after it had been written, and boom, it comes out the same week. Pure coincidence. A story that I think has lots of history behind it, but lots of future ahead of it as well. Who knows? We may revisit it. Episode five, Andy Talkoff. He talked to us about a moment in history that was really kind of, we saw this moment in history, Colton and I, and we said, oh, let's do this. Robert E. Lee actually tried to resign after Gettysburg. But then as we're doing this interview with Andy, he's pointing out to us some of the reasons why this maybe isn't a moment in history that people would have cared about because it might have been used in the myth-making for Robert E. Lee. So it was a kind of a double-edged sword. How do you tell this story properly? And I think we did tell this story properly. We saw this story. We're like, yep, we're going to do this story. We got Andy to talk about this story. And Rachel, you know, wrote this up. We're reading the first kind of draft of it. And we get to a soundbite with Andy where he says what Rachel just said of this letter would mean nothing and would not be remembered if not for it showed how humble Lee was. And as you said, Rachel, the myth-making of Lee. And I kind of looked at Rachel. So why are we doing this? Are we propagating this tool to prove how great a legendary a man Lee was? So we had a serious conversation between us of, I don't think we should scrap it. But we need to be very cognizant of how we talk about it and how we write it and edit it together. We were able to craft it into something that I think was worth knowing and worth learning about. I think in a lot of our previous episodes, we've talked about just this, the conversation that followed the Civil War. Also in episode five, The Census. Colton's specialty writing this one. It was just a fascinating, geeky story that we had to include because we don't know what's happened to these records and the two different sides of what could have happened are fascinating. Full transparency here, we debated about this one for weeks. If we don't have it, episode five is going to be really short. And I said, I just don't know if there's enough meat there for a segment about it. But Rachel convinced me, coerced me. But I think after I finished writing it, I did think that though it wasn't a very long segment, I think it was a worthy one. I will say part of my brain wants to believe that they're still around somewhere, hidden somewhere. Most of my brain believes that they're gone forever. We also had the Petersburg tornado, which is a great opportunity for us to dive into our archive. That's what we decided to do with that one. We could have gone and got our friend Andrew Frieden to join us for another weather story, but we had so much sound on this one from covering this from so many years ago that we just thought it was important to delve into that sound for this story. And then Colton found some amazing research from the National Weather Service that my mind is blown about this apocalyptic tornado that came here with a vortex of smaller tornadoes inside. It was crazy. short of a time period did it happen in? 20 minutes. And that to me was the craziest part. Big weather events are always fascinating to me, but when they can cause so much damage and destruction in such a short amount of time, it really makes me think about our jobs outside of writing this podcast and the importance of that. And so this one just kind of reminded me of what we all do. 
in my research when I found a lengthy write-up from the National Weather Service, that to me really painted the picture of some of their reports on the ground from the day of a wall, I believe that was four bricks thick that had a three foot diameter hole literally punched through it that they think was from the beam of a nearby building that was simply blown away. The power and the force behind that, that happened in seconds is hard to fathom. And finally, episode six, which Kate will hear later today as we're recording this for the first time. And I'm excited for her to hear this one because I think we tell an important story in this that is most definitely one of the most brutal stories that we have ever shared. And it involves the Paspahe Indians. And it's a story that I've never heard before, never learned in school because it's about the foundings of Jamestown but it's what happened to these people that were here when the settlers arrived from England. It's devastating. Yeah, I think the fact that Kate hasn't heard it yet is really setting her up for this one. We first read about this one, Rachel, months ago when we were planning this season. And we looked at each other and thought, is it going to be too much? Is it going to be too gruesome? Producer in my mind said, well, if we're having this discussion... It's probably a story worth telling because it's important. It's not pleasant, but it's important. And I think Luke Pecorero is the perfect person to tell this story. Uh, we've had him on a couple times now. He's fantastic. But yeah, I think he makes a very poignant point in this as well. We talk all the time about Jamestown, but we don't talk about what happened to make Jamestown a reality. There are a lot of different accounts like this in early Virginia history that I think have been glossed over over time. All towards telling this story of the Jamestown settlement and perseverance, but at what cost? It's a Native American story that we needed to tell. Well, I'm excited to edit it now because like you guys know, I do not like to skip the hard parts of history because the good and the bad That's how we got here. And finally, the Unite the Right rally. This is another moment where I look at the calendar and go, how do we avoid this week in history? Because this is a story I do not want to write. And the reason I didn't want to write it is because it happened so recently. And it is fresh in people's minds. You know what, though? We need to tell the heart of this story because we're all living this now with the rise of some of these groups that showed up on that day and what we've seen after with the insurrection. It's important to not overlook this moment because it happened five years ago. I know you were dreading writing this story because of how recent it is, but knowing that I get to edit it is actually very exciting to me because I don't know if you guys remember, but I moved to Virginia the week after the Unite the Right rally. So my first news coverage in Richmond was the fallout of that and the protests that happened in Richmond directly after. That was kind of my first experience as somebody who grew up and spent all of her adult life in the Midwest. And it actually made me want to do this podcast. And that was really what spurred this whole idea because I realized I knew so little about the South and the different types of issues here because We just don't have that. I'm not saying there isn't racism in the Midwest. Of course there is. It's just very different. We mentioned before that Kate and I grew up about 45 minutes apart in Minnesota. 
the South, Virginia is a very different feeling, I think, when it comes to race and issues like that, especially with Richmond being the former capital of the Confederacy. I was actually off of work that weekend. I had been at the station for about a year at that point. And I was out in Western Virginia with my now wife. Saw that that had happened on that Saturday and we were driving back to Richmond that Sunday. But we stopped to get gas at a gas station, I believe on 64, but we were still west of Charlottesville. I think I went inside to buy some snacks or something. And I'll never forget that there was this large white van that was parked outside of this gas station, thought nothing of it. But then the people climbing out of that van, wearing shirts that were swastikas and the way that they were treating the clerk of this gas station when I was inside was very startling to me because it almost felt like this is what you read about or see black and white videos of 65 years ago. As you said, Rachel, years later, it's still very, very fresh for a lot of people. And I think, as you said, we looked at this and both were like, oh man, I don't know if we can do that. But after having read it, I haven't heard the final edit yet. After having read it with Rachel, I do think that personally that we did a good job with this segment and I hope our listeners agree. I hope we did this episode justice. I I feel like it was one that was hard to tell. And I hate ending our behind the sounds episode on such a somber note. So... I just want to say thanks to Kate and Colton for being here and for doing these episodes and seasons and juggling everything there is to juggle in life and making it happen because I know from all of the messages that I get from all of you all that you love to listen and we do truly love to make this podcast. When things get hard and the workload is crazy, which with this podcast, it is a lot. When Rachel and our little group text sends us the messages that you send her, that you post, about how much you love the podcast. I know for me personally, that helps keep me going for sure. It's safe to say, and Kate would agree, that for this season, Rachel really took it by the reins and did so, 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 so much of this. And I know that Kate and I are very thankful for that. And you, hopefully as listeners, will appreciate Rachel for that. This has been a team effort through all five seasons, but season five was a Rachel special. But yes, thank you, Rachel for everything you've done for this season and all previous seasons as well. And Kate as well for taking what Rachel does and polishing it into what it is and what our listeners enjoy every week. To our super fans out there, just know that we do plan to take a little break, but if you have any stories about Virginia history, please send them to us. You can find us on Instagram. You can email us at howwegothere@nbc12.com. Those messages go straight to us. We read them. Thank you for your kind words and keep the ideas coming. This podcast is recorded by NBC 12 in Richmond, Virginia. Thank you to all of our guests this season and to Dan Hefner and Sam Maneri for their help with a few episodes. We also want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Virginia Museum of History and Culture and the Library of Virginia. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please send us an email to howwegothere at nbc12.com. Also, 
Thank you to all of our listeners. We reached 100,000 downloads this season. Absolutely amazing. And that wouldn't happen without all of you. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao.